Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, wishing everybody a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you are tuning into today's podcast from. The podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2018 Event Technology Awards for the second year in a row. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage uh a warm welcome to everybody to today's edition of the podcast uh and i always get a little bit giddy uh and ahead of myself when i welcome somebody from the other side of the pond i still find something there's something fabulously um exciting about opening up a laptop and being able to speak to somebody who's thousands of miles away um over today in the big apple in new york we welcome scott colathus scott is the ceo of invent scott thanks very much for joining the podcast today of course, James, it's my pleasure to be here from cold, windy, snowy New York City. <laughs> and I'm delighted to say that I'm in a very, uh, uh, it, it's a bit dusky now, but a very, very bright, sunny north of England today. Um, How unusual. <laughs> yeah, fabulous. Um, Scott, thanks very much for joining the podcast. For those of you who, who haven't come across Invent before, um, Scott's going to tell us a little bit more about it. But essentially on today's podcast, we're going to be finding out what it's like to take uh, an agency from a fledgling operation, from a startup, to something that now has a significant global presence in just a decade. Um, Scott, let's hand it straight back over to you and tell us uh, and tell our podcast listeners about Invent and what it is that you guys do as an agency. Yeah, right. Great, James. Thank you for that. So, Invent was founded in 2008 with the aspiration of becoming the global live brand storytelling agency, and. Uh, Back in 2008, when we decided to launch Invent, uh, as those uh, who, who are old enough to recall, it was the height of the economic recession. In fact, we were in a global meltdown at that point. Mm. And uh, the, basically, we're a live events business. So we cater to uh, corporations, organizations, and brands to, in essence, bring their live events to life, to create brand stories around events. Uh, and our industry, our sector, uh, the live events business uh, falls into Marcoms. And Marcoms is a uh, leading uh, indicator uh, with regards to the global economy. So what that means is our budgets are the first to go and the last to come back. <laughs> yeah. so, right, so you know where I'm going with this. Circling back to 2008, we head off to launch Invent and have this grand plan to become a global agency. Uh, and yet there was very little money to be uh, had. So we, 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 we launched though because we firmly believed that there was a void in the marketplace at that time. And uh, we felt that that void was uh, a clear uh, understanding uh, and, uh, and execution of live events uh, told in a very unique and disruptive way that would create a real return on investment for brands and organizations. Sure. Um, when you say working with, with brand activation, companies who entertain the idea of doing live events in order to activate and engage people with their brand generally a brand of a significant stature already they've already built their brand to a point where they now feel that brand activation will help them to evolve further and to further enhance that their share of any given marketplace um so as a fledgling agency back in 2008 how does a fledgling agency go about knocking on the door of an established global brand and saying we think we could help you yeah right that's a great question and that, that was a real challenge for us at the beginning, because in 2008, 
when we launched, we were going up against larger, very established agencies, the Jack Mortons of the world, the George P. Johnsons, the imaginations, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of our humble beginnings, when we started in eight, there were really just three of us. And uh, so by design, we instantly became a challenger agency. Uh, and that led us to becoming a challenger agency for challenger brands. And so what we did is um, we, we designed and created uh, solutions and, and creative tactics that were fundamentally grounded in strategy, and yet they were disruptive. Uh, and and they, were, they were fresh and unique and different. Mm -hmm. So we, we, took, we took very uh, big uh, creative risks at the beginning uh, in order to differentiate ourselves from the, 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 the set that we were competing against that clearly had an, a competitive advantage uh, over us. So, when you, uh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, when you, when you talk about creative risks, are you talking about physically presenting ideas that are completely avant-garde when compared to some of the other agencies that were perhaps pitching ideas for, for events? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, fundamentally, we're, we're grounded in strategy. So we've got to understand, you know, the, the strategic initiatives or imperatives of the organization or the brand. But, but as, assuming that we've, we've fully entrenched ourselves in that, then what we do is we come up with creative tactics that are going to be disruptive and, and, and sticky and create real impact. So uh, our chief creative officer, Paul, Paul Blurton, who happens to be a, a, a Brit, by the way, <laughs> uh, he and I, in the early days, uh, when, when we came up with an idea that the hair on the back of our neck stood up, we knew we had the right idea and then we would go in and pitch it. Great. And um, I suppose then that, that um, in some respects, you're afforded uh, a luxurious position as a startup back then because you've got nothing to lose. Um, if you've got the established guys going in there and pitching, in a way, they probably are going to be expected to deliver a certain type of pitch or a certain type of idea. Um, were, were you afforded any sort of luxurious flexibility as, a, as an agency that was unknown back then to be able to go in and really sort of test the water with new ideas? Well, well, I don't know that we were afforded that luxury, but we took full advantage of doing so. Um, we, we came up with the brand positioning of challenge everything uh, in the early days, and that's because that's really what we, what we did. And so we went in with these ideas that were unique and fresh. They were on brand, they were on point, they were on message, but they were completely disruptive. And I was a firm believer in the early days, and I'm, I'm sort of a keep it simple kind of guy. Mm. And I, I'm a brand loyalist. And so um, what I said to our team, and I continue to repeat to our team every time we get in front of a new client, if, if we don't offer them something that, that's on brand, on point, on message, but it's fresh and different and unique, then why would they change to, to, to us? And so we, we adopted that uh, mindset from the very beginning. And 10 years later, as a global agency with offices around the world, we challenge ourselves every day to uh, come up with solutions that, that sort of fit that same mindset and thinking. Sure. Um, I'm always curious when it comes to marketing, uh, communications, uh, brand activation, you know, call it what you will. Even 10 years ago, there were vertical strands that were quite defined when you would look at major corporations and the way that they handled their communications, their marketing. There were the public relations team. There was the marketing team. There was the website team. There were, even when social media was creeping in, they would have a dedicated social media team. You know, all of these skills and all of these responsibilities were very much seen as 
different skills for different people in different vertical strands of what was maybe communications overall. With things like brand activation, the way that we use the internet, the, the way that we use devices to engage with each other, the way that social media shapes our thinking and influences people now, have you seen that, that those things have become just one big blurred area of communications now that's actually helped us in a way? It's reduced the amount of um, administration that has to be done in order to get joined up communications out there. Yeah, for, well, for sure. I, I don't know that it's, it's blurred, but it's certainly... Uh, true today that those different verticals, if you will, are working in, in synergy or in unity with one another. And we, you know, we're, we're firm believers. Uh, everybody always says that you know, social media amplifies events because you, you're able to take an event that has maybe 5,000 or 10,000 attendees or consumers at it. And through social media, you can amplify that globally to millions and millions of people. We actually believe the, uh, the, the, the reverse is true. We think that live events actually give social media the ability to scale. So, for instance, if you look at the things that trend daily on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, any of the social platforms that you may be involved in, the ones that trend are the ones that have a solid live event as the backdrop. Yeah. People are able to tell a story across their social media, and they need – they need a backdrop to be able to tell that story and live events provides them with that. And I, I suppose live events, the other thing is as well is that um, they don't need to be these gargantuan, uh, huge, great, great things, do they? That the whole point of, of live interaction with people now can be, as, can be as small and as intimate as a brand wants to make it. And, and, and I have certainly have spoken to, to companies in the past who have not necessarily been put off by the idea of doing live events and brand activation, but they, there's been some trepidation because they assume that they've got to have this behemoth of a moving thing that goes from city to city, which is not the case, is it? No, not, not at all. In fact, I, I think sort of the, the future of our industry, the live events business, if you will, is to be able to take an experience for any number of people and really create a one-to-one -one between, you know, the brand or the organization and whoever that key target audience member is. So whether, whether we've got 50,000 people in our audience or we've got 10, the more, the more uh, uh, cu customized and, and uh, relevant we can make that conversation for those attendees in a one-to-one -one fashion, the stronger the idea is and the better the return on investment is going to be. So I think that, to your point, James, organizations who do stray away from it aren't really getting the potency of the live event in terms of, of creating that halo between their brand or their organization and their consumer, their customer, uh, the press, their, their, uh, their key stakeholders, whatever their core target audience is. Sure. And, and I guess when, when I look at the... Um... Uh, the parallel with with consumerism and and how we um, how we shop how we socialize certainly in the UK there is a trend uh, over the last few years that there are the huge brands and and when I look at the high street for example or shops and people who go out to eat there are lots of of chains but similarly there's been a huge rise in independent smaller operations people now like to go into somewhere that's maybe a bit, a bit of a boutique offering. Um, there aren't as many people crammed in there. It's a, it's a smaller amount of people. And, um, and I guess a lot of that, of, uh, 
interaction and how we work and, and operate as consumers ultimately translates into things like events, doesn't it? If people are wanting that more boutique feel to it and something that's a little bit more intimate, fewer people with a, a more personal experience, that's going to translate into sort of work that you guys are doing as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that the personal experience is the key there. You know, so again, you, we can have an event that has 25,000 people at it if it's structured properly and, and the content, the creative tactics are done right. It can feel, feel like a very personal one-to-one -one connection between, you know, the organization or the brand and the attendees. Mm. Um, I, I do think that there is a massive, uh, and, and this, is, this is backed up by, by studies, there is a massive trend uh, where people are moving towards live events. Um, you know, we have, we have a population of, of, of uh, millennials and Gen Zs that is r ranging to around 5 billion. Uh, very soon, I read a statistic that said that, that that group of people is going to be over half of the global population. Mm. Um, there are studies that show that, you know, 80, over 80% 80 of the, that, that group of people would rather have some sort of a live experience than a gift. You know, so I always, I always kind of joke about it. You know, the young couple that's getting married today, she, she would rather have a, uh, a trip to Coachella than, than an engagement ring. It's more valuable to that demogra target demographic to, to experience something with one another rather than take a physical gift. I think that speaks volumes to the opportunities that we have in our industry as we move forward over the next 10 to 15 years. Absolutely. And, and I, I would agree with that. You know, I know in my own personal situation, I know that for the last two years as a family Christmas present, we, we get a family ticket to a music festival. You know, ah. that, that, that to us is a great Christmas gift. You know, we could we could do all the usual stuff in the present opening, and which is great. But, you know, for us, that, 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 that idea of going off somewhere and having something to look forward to. And, and it's the build up to that live experience, the, the traveling there the actual experience itself and then the memories that you create from going there that, that, well, that is, is the lasting buzz and and that's what we're talking about translating to people isn't it that's exactly right i mean from the time i was a very very young kid my grandmother she's unfortunately passed away now but but she would never give any of us a gift for a holiday or a birthday or whatever she would take us someplace and and she shared with us that we will just to your point james we will have that memory for our entire life and we'll remember that experience if she gave me a piece of jewelry or a piece of art or something someday that could be gone or lost or whatever and 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 the memory with it but the experience is indelible and that's that's really really exciting one thing that i'd like to ask you is that as an agency how many of your um uh, activation of brands that you're working with you're actually deliver delivering events within other events um, and the music festival is perhaps a, a good example you know uh, there are an awful lot of music festivals now that will have sponsored areas drinks brands have play a huge part in music festivals now where they will have activation areas and, and, and fully branded zones with their own music choice with cocktail bars serving their drinks etc etc um, and in your particular experience how many events do you deliver that are actually within bigger events like a festival or a sporting event. Yeah, right. I, I would say probably 15 to 20% of our activations are, are, are executed within some larger event. We, we do a tremendous amount of work for uh, the auto industry. Mm -hmm. and we, we activate, uh, General Motors happens to be one of our biggest clients, and we activate for them uh, almost at all their tier one, tier two motor shows. Right. Um, 
we will wind up doing uh, activations at things like South by Southwest, uh, for example, where, where we will go in with a brand and create an experience where we're, we're basically using the, um, the, the, the size and the weight of, of, a, of an event that already exists and capitalizing on that or cannibalizing, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, some of those audience members. Um, but, but we're also a, a, a very excited um, about the, the fact that speaking of music festivals, that, that we are entering into uh, the design and production of, of, the, of one of the celebrations of the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. Um, wow. we, we have uh, recently announced that we're in a partnership with Live Nation and uh, Bethel Woods to design and produce the Bethel Woods Music and Culture, Fe Culture Festival. Um, our, our festival is really, really exciting, and I bring this up because of what you say about brands plugging into sure, large sure. events. Um, our festival will be held at the original site of the 1969 Woodstock Festival, and we're currently working with many uh, brands right now to figure out how they'll fit into the overall footprint of our festival uh, and how they, how they will activate accordingly uh, to represent themselves well but to create a deeper relationship between, you know, their brand or their organization mm. and our, uh, and our festival fans. That, that to me immediately, well, well, straight away, you've got my attention, you know, Woodstock, you know, I think the who and Jimi Hendrix and Joe Cocker, um, yeah. you know, and those great performances that came out of there. But the first thing that sprang to my mind after that was the, the vibe if you can call it that, from the original Woodstock. It was very much this anti-establishment, free love, you know, rebelling against, you know, authority and, and governments and, and politicians. Um, I, I'm curious to know how careful you're going to have to be when you're designing brand activation there to try and recreate some of the original ethos of a festival like Woodstock and also offer brands the opportunity to engage in it without deterring an audience and feeling like they're being sold to and it's over-commercialized. Well, uh, hopefully that makes sense to you and you can understand what I'm trying to get at there. Oh, 100%. In fact, it's, it's, it's part of our strategy and it has been from day one. Um, you know, first I would say, I don't know that anybody is going to be able to recreate, you know, that original Woodstock moment. That, that was just a, a spark and a, and a, t a happenstance in time uh, that may never be recreated. Um, but, but, but I do think that, you, that, that there will be a number of celebration events um, commemorating the 50th anniversary. Mm. Uh, we've been very, very careful not to make this a, uh, a, an event that is a put your logo event here. Um, we're, we're, we're going to have some specific brand categories that are endemic to what we believe the mission and values of you know what Woodstock stood for <clears throat> 50 years ago, um, combined with the mission and values of Bethel Woods Music and Culture Center. Yeah. Uh, um, so so we're we're really careful about that because first and foremost, this has to be an experience for festival goers, and and ours ours is going to be a unique blend of music and entertainment combined with educational components and. Um, and, and, and other things. So we're really creating a three-day infotainment experience, if you will, that, that will leave people who come to our uh, festival entertained, but also educated. Uh, and I think that much like 
we were 50 years ago, uh, at least in America, uh, our country is extremely divided. And, and I would say that that almost um, is a global statement. Yeah. We're a very fractured uh, uh, glo- a world right now. And I think that, you know, festivals like this are going to have an opportunity to bring people together again and bring brands together with those people. We're talking today on the podcast with uh, Scott Culliter, who's uh, the CEO of Invent, um, joining us today from New York City over in the USA. Um, Invent, a global agency that uh, undertake um, significant brand activation and, and event organization duties for um, a lot of leading brands. Um, and as I said, not just in the, in the States, but, but globally as well. And, and um, that's something that I think is important that we touch on today, Scott, because at the very start of today's episode, I mentioned that you guys uh, are only 10 years old. It's 2008 that you started up and we're right here at the start of 2019. So, you know, it's literally a decade on from when you, um, when you guys started and there are now offices in uh, Sydney, it's Sydney in Australia. I think you have one in uh, Stockholm in Sweden. There's a London office. You're in New York at the moment, San Francisco. Um, this is a significant global presence that has come about what I would say relatively quickly. Um, how difficult, looking at some of the ideas and some of the, the, the examples that we've talked about so far in the podcast, how difficult is it to translate those to multiple different territories on such a wide scale? Because you've got to understand different audiences, different cultural aspects, uh, different social um, understandings of how people behave in certain environments. And in order to deliver a brand activation event or any type of event, you first and foremost got to understand how the people behave in that territory. Um, How difficult has that been to actually do in order to establish that presence? Absolutely. Uh, And that's a great question, James. Um, we, we, uh, We are truly a global uh, a live brand storytelling agency. We just opened our eighth office uh, last week in Singapore. Uh, so we're really excited about that. That puts us in five countries on four different continents. And what's really interesting is that company organizations and brands that have a global presence are really looking for consistency, consistency of, of message, consistency of delivery, consistency of quality. Uh, for us, because the way we started back in 2008 in the height of the economic meltdown, mm-hmm. our business model was very much an outsourced, transparent agency type model. So fast forward 10 years to today, and it's a model that works extremely well given the question that you just asked. So what, what brands and organizations are doing with, with us, uh, they're, they're looking to us to, look, to, to watch after their, their global brand and the quality of executing their live events. And yet they're expecting us to, uh, to, to execute and activate authentically. So what we do is we'll put, if you will, a small team of people on a brand or an organization. They'll be responsible for looking after the messaging, the strategy, the tactics, the quality, uh, and they will travel around the world and, and oversee the activations in different regions or different countries that are executed on the ground by locals. So we're not sending a bunch of New Yorkers into Singapore to execute, for instance, or into, or into uh, Calcutta to execute. We're looking, we're the, some New Yorkers or some Australians or, or some, some Europeans may be looking after the global brand and the messaging and all of that, but sure. we're activating locally and authentically. And so for us, it's, it's been a real uh, benefit uh, to, to for us to be able to provide our clients with that level of sort of brand protection, if you will, and at the same time communicate 
uh, effectively on the ground locally. Sure. Uh, having had that experience and, and now being able to reflect on a decade, you know, in business with Invent um, as an agency and, and seeing where you are now, um, I guess I guess you don't want to give too much away to, to competitors, but you know, if you were able to look back on yourself ten years ago and speak to yourself, what advice would you be giving either yourself or somebody else who is thinking about starting the same journey that you've been on? Well, yeah. Well, first off, I'd say it's going to take three times as long as you want it to, and it's going to be five times harder than you wanted it to. <laughs> um, so uh, be prepared. I mean, you know, when when we started in two thousand and eight we had this aspiration of becoming a global agency. Like who would do that in the height of an economic meltdown? So I think that, you know, first and foremost, you, you've, you've got to basically think about what you want to be in the future. And mm -hmm. for us, we did want to be a global brand. So we said we were going to be a global brand. We put a shoe on that was five times too big for us. And we eventually have grown into that shoe. So I, so I think with, without that sort of, initial beginnings, you need to really understand and focus on not who you are right now, but who you want to be and where you want to be in the future. Sure. And, and I think that I think that's a big one. Um, for us, you know, as part of that, because of our, our humble beginnings, you know, we also then set a mission uh, to, to, to become the challenger agency for challenger brands. And, and to us, we, we work for some market leaders in different categories. But we look at them as challengers every time we approach our work, uh, because if, if you don't have that challenger mindset, even though you're a market leader, you, you will eventually not be the, the market leader. Um, Did, I, I just, just want to pick up on something really quickly that you said, you know, you put on a shoe that's five times too big and eventually you grew into it. However, if, if, if you put on a shoe that's five times too big, initially you're going to trip over quite regularly. Um, Looking back again on, on those early parts, uh, uh, were you able to learn from not so much negative experiences, but we always say we learn from our mistakes, don't we? Um, oh, and, and, and I guess it would be remiss of you to suggest that you, you started a global brand agency that didn't maybe make a few mistakes in the early days. Oh, we made tons of mistakes. And, uh, and, and, and we learned. You know, in the, in the beginning, we were a bunch of renegades. We didn't have a lot of process. Um, we, we, we didn't have that many clients. And, and so therefore, one of the big mistakes that we did is, is we tried to be all things to all people. Yeah. And, and we learned very early that, that that wasn't a good approach. And so we began, even though uh, organizations would come to us, we began to say, you know what, that's not really what we do. Uh, and, and we should refer you to somebody else. So, so we, we have taken that approach and now uh, laid it all over the, all over the, uh, the global offices where we don't accept a lot of opportunities because it's either not right for us or we're not going to be able to execute it at the level that we want to execute it. That, 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 that's interesting because cause one thing that, that, that has become apparent is it, from how you've told the story um, is that this idea of coming in and challenging the established brands when you first started and coming in with these dynamic, maybe sometimes avant-garde, um, free thinking ideas to, to, to create the buzz and create a reputation for yourselves as, 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 as an agency that would come in and challenge and do something completely different and dynamic. As an agency now that's got multiple offices in five different countries across the world, you have to operate with some form of protocol and procedure in order to keep the business structured and operating efficiently and profitably. 
but at the same time retain that youthful DNA that you had at the start? And is, is that, it strikes me as something that has got to be balanced very finely for you. Oh, a hundred percent. In fact, um, you know, I, I will, I, I beat a, a drum constantly about being a process prophet. And, and that doesn't mean that I'm a prophet by any sense to imagine or stretch the imagination. What I mean by that is the balance that you need to strike is that uh, in order to have a large organ, we have about 110 inventors now in, in eight different offices. There has to be a level of process, but too much process and you strangle everything. Too sure. little process and you spin out of control. So uh, organizations that want to uh, uh, build a scalable and sustainable model need to really become process profits, if you will. Sure. Um, and, 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 I, and I think that that, that is, is a must. Um, the, the other thing that, that we've gotten very good at uh, and is also a must is forecasting and planning. Um, so, so, so we need to set a roadmap uh, and, and be able to measure against how we're doing in order to be able to make the kinds of investments and changes and continue to grow um, uh, into the future. And then, and then the last thing, when, when you talk about sort of keeping the, 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 uh, the gusto of how we started, you know, we have this philosophy of we, we've got 110 wicked smart teenagers. And uh, <laughs> so when, when we say teenagers, that's not sort of a, that's not a term that we use about age. I, I'm a 55-year-old I'm a uh, senior executive. But what, what we mean is it's a belief system. It's a value. It's a how you approach your values. It's how you think. It's how you believe. It's, it's your ability to take risks. So we like to hire people regardless of their age or orientation. We like to hire people that represent that sort of youthful spirit of, of a teenager. Sure. Yeah. Irres irrespective of what it says on their birth certificate. Absolutely. Um, uh, one thing, uh, uh, we're getting towards the end of time, unfortunately, on today's episode, but um, I, I'm, I'm always curious to ask, uh, when I come across somebody who clearly has a, a very sort of dynamic approach to their job and their work within this industry, um, you obviously love the industry. Um, what, what keeps you going? What, what motivates you to continue to drive, drive on? Because some people would say, well, you've expanded the business, it's grown to where it is, why not just, you know, reap the rewards of that and let other people do the work. What drives you to keep going into the office every day and saying, what about this as an idea? Yeah, man. Well, that, that's a great question. And for, first for me, it's that teenager spirit. You know, I get up every day and I look for something new and fresh to do. Right. And so for me, that's, that's a huge motivation. Um, but, but I, but I think, you know, I've been in the, I've been in the industry of live events for 33 years now. Uh, and actually my entire life, 55 years, my father was the 13th employee at Jack Morton worldwide when, when Jack Morton was an actual living human being. Um, so so what I'm, one of the things I'm most proud of about our industry and one of the things that keeps me up and going every day is the fact that as an industry, we truly do have the ability to change the world. And, and, and we may not have the ability to change the world like Picasso does or, or, or Lady Gaga does. <laughs> Uh, in, in, in that context. But if you think about it, you know, every day the titans and the captains of industry um, and brands look to us as an industry for ideas and, and, and things to do to help move their business forward. And the fact that we get to sit in a room and dream these things up and pitch them 
and then organizations go out and execute on them and then economies can change grow or fall based on these ideas we as an industry really do have the ability to change the world and that is just extremely exciting to me it's a fantastic way to round up uh, round up today's episode. Um, we've been joined on the podcast today by Scott Cullither. Scott is the CEO of Invent, a global uh, agency that does a huge amount of brand activation work and is somebody who has worked clearly in the live events industry for a very long time and has an awful lot of very good things to say. Scott, thanks very much for joining the podcast today. Of course, James. Thank you so much for having me. If people want to get in touch with you, if they want to find out a little bit more about you, maybe get in touch on social media or via the web, how do they do that? Yep, we're at www.invent.com. My email is S-C-U-L-L-A-T-H-E-R at I-N-V-N-T.com. And on Twitter, my handle is S-Cullather, S-C-U-L-L-A-T-H-E-R. Perfect. And uh, I'm sure if anybody's got any nouse about them, they'll be able to get on the internet and track you guys down very, very quickly. Hey, you're, you're in enough parts of the world to be pretty close to most people. So thanks very much for, uh, for talking to us. The podcast is brought to you by our own sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2018 Event Technology Awards for the second year in a row. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage and i'm sure everybody listening to today's podcast will join me in thanking our guest once again scott Cullither from invent joined us from new york city today on the podcast my name is james dixon and we'll see you on the next episode thanks very much for tuning in guys bye-bye